Welcome, I am your host, and this is the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Now we're going to get into the questions in Parliament. So after asking in the House of Commons during 2003 and 2004, three lords asked the government for a public inquiry in November of 2004. A response was issued through its whip in the lords of Baroness Crowley. Quote, My lords, the government are not so far convinced that a public inquiry will achieve additional information to that already achieved through all the various police, army and coroner investigations and inquiries. They have already reported, however, as my noble friend said in his supplementary question, a further review by a fully independent figure was announced by the Minister of State for the Armed Forces in the House of Commons. The government are not complacent on these matters. End quote. The Ministry of Defence in 2004 expanded its relationship with the Adult Learning Inspectorate to provide independent oversight of all British Armed Forces training. Now we get into the Blake Report. In December of 2004, a military law QC, Nicholas Blake of Matrix Chambers, was commissioned by the Ministry of Defence to independently review the cases with the voluntary cooperation of involved parties. In March 2006, he published a 397-page report entitled The Deep Cut Review, with his findings which concluded that it was probable that the deaths were self-inflicted, but criticised a number of aspects of the Deep Cut Barracks Training Centre at the time of the deaths, which the report suggested could be construed as having played a role in the suicides. The points identified by the report were that the training environment at Deep Cut causing low morale through poor accommodation, limited recreational facilities, and the balance between privacy and dormitory life, ill-disciplined access to firearms at the barracks, poor supervision of trainees, a detrimental culture in the barracks had taken root involving ill-disciplined bullying and unofficial punishments, a systemic failure of the means for complaint within the barracks, and low-quality instructors on the barracks staff. A report issued by the Army Board of Inquiry in response to the Blake Report was due to be published in December of 2007, but was delayed by the Ministry of Defence until May of 2009. On release, it supported the Blake Report's findings and returned open verdicts on the deaths of the recruits. Now we get into press commentary on the matter. The deaths at Deep Cut Barracks were through obscure circumstances with questions being asked as to whether they were suicides or foul play by an unknown third party or parties have drawn substantial coverage in the British media both in Fleet Street's tabloid and broadsheet titles and in television news programs and documentaries. In December of 2002, the British Broadcasting Corporation's Panorama Television Current Affairs Program broadcast an investigation into the barracks at the time of the deaths, cataloguing an abuse of culture towards recruits among elements of the training staff and naming a particular non-commissioned officer as being a problem in this regard. In 2009, the Murrah newspaper reported that senior police officers investigating the deaths of the four young soldiers at Deep Cut seriously compromised the investigation by briefing army top brass on their findings. Articles by journalists Brian Catherick and Heather Mills critical of the investigations featured in Private Eye in January of 2010 and the publication has been consistently critical of those judgments and supported the family's appeals for further investigation. These criticisms drew on the later investigations to suggest the initial forensic investigations were flawed. Cathcart has also been critical of the treatment of the four cases in the media. 
In January of 2016, prior to the start of a new inquest into the death of one of the recruits, Cheryl James, the independent newspaper revealed a culture of bullying, sexual assaults, and rape was claimed to be widespread at Deep Cut Barracks in the year Cheryl James was found shot dead. Almost 60 allegations of such incidents said to have taken place in 1995 were made to Surrey police by former recruits, but at Hithro escaped public attention. Following the end of Cheryl James' second inquest, Friday the 3rd of June, the same day BBC2 broadcast a documentary at 9pm called Deep Cut the Army's Shame, the documentary was referred to as shocking and indeed during interviews with former recruits, it described a malevolent culture of bullying, violence, attempted suicide, rape, male rape, threats of murder and racism. A former NCO, Julia Bolton, was one of the few female non-commissioned officers, NCOs at Deep Cuts in the mid-90s. She believes the base was out of control, and she says of her fellow instructors, quote, A lot of them were actually put there because nobody else wanted them. It sort of had a bit of a reputation as being a dumping ground to get rid of unwanted NCOs. One recruit who trained with Cheryl James was interviewed by ITV News following the conclusion of his second inquest. In the interview, the recruit said James had a bubbly personality and her suicide didn't add up. He consequently said life at the camp was chaotic and there was no structure. He was the same recruit that appeared on BBC Two's documentary and described how he was abused by an instructor and knocked unconscious by a broom handle, as I mentioned before previously in this podcast. A few weeks later, in July 2016, another former recruit who had known Sean Benton was interviewed live on BBC News' Victoria Derbyshire programme. During the interview, he described an insidious culture of bullying and paranoia and described how he and three other recruits locked each other inside cupboards to escape from the regime. The cupboards had to be locked with a padlock from the outside and was the only place instructors couldn't access. Following the interview, Des James, father of Army recruit Cheryl James, said that this interview of Deep Cut was another sign that there was a culture of bullying at the camp that, and I quote, people are starting to realise something was very wrong there, end quote. He said he was still pressing for a public inquiry. In 2017, it was suggested in the media that detectives investigating the deaths of the four soldiers at Deep Cut did not properly consider a list of hypothetical suspects, according to a report. Devon and Cornwall Police reviewed Surrey Police's investigations and found the force was unaware of a number of theories suggesting specific individuals could have killed the soldiers. However, this line of questioning was never followed up. Following Sean Benton's second inquest in 2018, a judge hit out at incompetent police and the toxic army base after ruling that the troubled rookie soldier blasted himself to death with a machine gun. In 2019, the parents of Perth soldier James Collinson, who died mysteriously at the barracks, said they would drop their fight for a new judicial inquiry. His death remains a mystery. Now we get into the further inquests. First off, we start with Cheryl James. On the 18th of July 2014, the High Court of Justice ordered a second inquest into the death of soldier private Cheryl James following a judicial review brought by her family. The judge found an insufficiency of inquiry into her death. The original inquest, held in 1995 soon after her death, lasted less than one hour and recorded an open verdict. Surrey Police was criticised for its handling of the case. Mr Justice Thornton stating that it had at first refused to full disclosure of the reinvestigation report to private James's family. Surrey Police subsequently handed over 44 Lever Arch files of documents pertaining to the case after being notified that an application for an order for disclosure was about to be made against it. 
The force that it had now voluntarily provided all relevant material to the family since being first requested to in early 2012 and what had been disclosed affords fresh grounds for an inquest. The documents handed over included important material relating to ballistics, the noise of the gunshot, bullet fragments, the finding of the body, the credibility of some witnesses, and further witnesses. The ruling meant that new inquests were also likely to follow into the deaths of the other three trainee soldiers. On the 15th of September 2014, it was announced that the fresh inquest would be conducted by Recorder of London, Brian Baker QC. I'm not exactly sure what a Recorder of London is. I'm not actually, I've never really heard that term before. In April of 2015, it was reported in private eye that on the force's own admission, it has still only handed over 75% of the material it holds in relation to Private Cheryl James, and that the force had made legal submissions to the coroner, Mr. Baker, to delay the new inquest into her death indefinitely. Private Eye also commented that Private James' family should not be forced to wait any longer by the machinations of the police force, which has let them down so many times before, end quote. The BBC reporter Private James's father, Des James, is saying, quote, It's insensitive that they're delaying it. It's been really tough for us getting to this point. I made the mistake of relaxing and thinking I could leave it to the legal process, end quote. Advocacy group Liberty funded lawyers to act for the family, saying that the delay would, and I quote, have a devastating impact on Mr. and Mrs. James. They have come so far and made so much progress, only to have the Surrey police make this 11th hour request to delay matters? It's intolerable. End quote. In May of 2015, Private Eye reported, quote, Revelations last week that the yellow fragment of bullet recovered from the body of teenager Cheryl James did not appear to match the Red Army issue ammunition raises serious questions about the botched investigations and inquiries over 20 years into the deaths, end quote. The report added, The assumption was always that she had committed suicide, even though there was no evidence to connect the SA-80 weapon alongside her body with her death. No fingerprints were collected from the rifle. Ammunition from it was inexplicably destroyed. The clothing Cheryl was wearing was never examined forensically. And crucially, the bullet fragment said to have been collected at post-mortem, which we now know was yellow or brass rather than copper-coated, has curiously disappeared. End quote. The magazine added that there was material to suggest Cheryl had been the victim of serious harassment and sexual violence, which it said had scandalously remained buried in Surrey police files despite subsequent reviews of the force's initial investigation by Devon and Cornwall Police and the Blake Review. Private James's parents argued through their QC for their daughter's body to be exhumed in the hopes of recovering further bullet fragments. Coroner Mr. Baker QC postponed making what he described as the difficult and unusual step of ordering an exhumation but rejected the suggestion from Surrey Police to delay the inquest and hold it alongside those of the other deep-cut recruits. The coroner announced that there would be a further pre-hearing on Thursday, September 10th of 2015, and that the full inquest would be held between the 1st of February and the 24th of March 2016. Now, see, a little thing I want to add in here. When you have someone who's pushing so much for a delay and to delay it indefinitely, that's when I start getting really suspicious because I'm a firm believer of thou doth protect test too much and if you've got someone saying oh we need you to delay this indefinitely and we don't want you to go through with this and just leave you know let sleeping dogs lie I start to question why you would do that what is it that you know or that you have in your possession so far as evidence is concerned or what have you discovered that you don't want anyone else to know about that's where my skepticism comes in and, and I start to get suspicious because when somebody says to me, oh, please hold this off indefinitely or don't look into this, it's too politically sensitive. It's like, really? 
Or if you come up to me and you say, oh, don't look into this, you don't need to look into this, I've already looked into this, don't worry about it. I'm a firm believer in thou doth protest too much, which means pretty simply that if you're trying to convince me of something and you're pushing really hard and putting pressure on me to believe in something the opposite's most likely true if you're telling if you're trying to forcibly tell me and you continually say to me oh that person didn't do it he had nothing to do with it i can cover for him and he never shot that person blah 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 blah. i'm convinced he's the one that did it if you're telling me that he didn't do it just your persuasiveness and your total lack of any other suspect makes me go okay this is the person that did it because you're pushing so hard for me not to believe that it's him, that it's got to be him, and it's got to be suspect. So with this, in the fact that they were trying to make the the delay into a new inquest into a death indefinitely, leads me to believe they didn't want to investigate it because it would uncover sloppy police work, incompetence, and all of that. That's what this leads me to believe. The police don't want to reinvestigate it or look into the inquest because they know they they screwed up. They screwed the pooch on this one, and they don't want anyone to know about that. So that's why they're like, oh, we'll just, just delay it indefinitely. Because not only does it make you look guilty as hell, it also makes it seem as if there's some kind of cover-up going on. It never looks good when you've got an investigation, when you suddenly go, oh yeah, I'm all, I'm all good for it, all good for this investigation, then you suddenly turn around the 11th hour quite literally and go, oh, we don't want to do this anymore. It's like, well, why the sudden turnaround on the 11th hour quite literally? Something done that up there. At the September 2015 pre-inquest hearing, the coroner's court in Woking was informed that Private James's body had been exhumed the previous month and that a post-mortem examination had been carried out by two pathologists, during which metallic fragments were recovered for ballistic analysis. Her family had attended a short burial service also in August of 2015. The James's family barrister, Alison Foster QC, said that the experts conducting the ballistic analysis ought not to have a significant connection either with the MOD, Ministry of Defence, or indeed a police force, and certainly no connection with Surrey Police, end quote. And that was because of what she called a considerable shadow over the initial handling of the case. On June 3rd of 2016, the appointed coroner Brian Baker QC, the recorder of London, ruled that Private James's death was suicide and that she died as a result of a self-inflicted shot, which she fired in an intended and deliberate act. He added, and I quote, We have explored as best we can what could be unearthed at this late stage within the legal constraints I am bound by. Clear answers as to why are just not there to be seen, end quote. He also found that the General Administrative and Disciplinary Culture at the Deep Cut facility at the time of Private James's death fell below the standard expected of a British military establishment. Private James's family rejected the suicide finding, which I agree with as well. I, I totally reject the suicide finding. Her father stating that there was a gaping hole in the evidence and that he did not believe the evidence led to this verdict. End quote. Additionally, he described Deep Cut as a toxic and horrible place for a young woman and called for a public inquiry into the culture of the barracks. Brigadier John Donnelly, head of the British Army's personnel services, on the announcement of the verdict stated that the Army, and I quote, was truly sorry for the level of supervision that trainees had received at Deep Cut in 1995. Surrey Police also issued a statement that mistakes had been made in the original investigation of the incident. General Lord Dannett, a former chief of the General Staff, stated to the media that it was his view that there should be a public inquiry into the Deep Cut barrack deaths. The current head general, Sir Nick Carter, also stated in a press interviews that, and I quote, Quote, if that's the best method of getting to the heart of the matter, then I guess that should be the way that we go, end quote. 
Now we get into Sheen Benton's inquest. On the 14th of October 2016, Mr Justice Collins ruled a new inquest could take place into the death of Private Sheen Benton as fresh evidence had cast some doubt over the conclusion of the first hearing in 1995. At a pre-inquest hearing at the Old Bailey on the 16th of June 2017, a 10-point list was presented widening the scope to look at all the circumstances of Private Benton's death. It included the details of how he died and whether there was any third-party action involved in the death. The second inquest commenced on the 30th of January 2018, concluding six months later. On the 18th of July 2018, appointed coroner Peter Rook QC ruled that Private Benton had committed suicide caused by multiple self-inflicted gunshots to the chest. The coroner criticised Surrey Police's original investigation into the death and stated that the initial investigation by the Royal Military Police was also inadequate, including a lack of witnesses', witnesses testimony, no fingerprints having been taken and no evidence having been provided concerning Private Benton's life at the barracks. He also described what had been revealed by the second inquest investigations as a toxic culture that existed at the time of Private Benton's death at the barracks and noted that Private Benton was frequently the recipient of harsh treatment. Benton's sister, Tracy Lewis, told the coroner that shortly before he died, he had complained of being pushed out of a window at the barracks as well as being shackled and forced to parade around a canteen, end quote. One witness recalled Sean Benton, who was from Hastings in East Sussex, being punched, lying helpless on the ground, facing verbal abuse and being humiliated, her statement showed. In one excerpt read out at Woking Coroner's Court, the witness said Private Benton was punched in the stomach by Corporal Martin Holder, falling to the ground. Another witness described how they had spoken to Sean Benton as they were both going on guard duty in June of 1995. She told the inquest he had been picked on quite severely. Another witness described the culture of deep cut and how he had tried to block out memories of the camp since leaving the army. The same witness said Sean was very nervous as a result of the bullying, which I can understand because I've been bullied myself, so I can understand what he must have gone through, but this place just sounds absolutely terrible, and I feel very sorry for the families who lost loved ones due to what happened at Deep Cut Army Barracks. Army Sergeant Andrew Gavaham also cited at the inquest of Cheryl James for ordering another recruit to have sex, which he denied, was accused of bullying recruits at Deep Cut, but told the coroner he would do things differently now. A commanding officer criticised Gavaham's natural style of leadership and said he was lacking bite with young soldiers, the court had heard. Mr Gavaham said he used to suggest jokingly to soldiers he had a twin brother who did the shouting, but another witness said recruits called him a psychopath. Indeed, other recruits referred to Gavaham as a mad head and completely unhinged. Some recruits were so frightened they locked each other in cupboards to escape from instructors. Another recruit recalls Gavinham kicking her in the small of the back and he said he was normally quite venomous and did not like women in general and that all the male soldiers were afraid of him. However, a former officer disagreed and described Gavinham as a firm troop sergeant. She did not see him scream and shout or lose control with the trainees or make them hide in fear. Yeah, but see, the whole thing about that though is he wouldn't exactly do it with a witness, would he? I mean, he would do it where there were no witnesses. He wouldn't do it in front of everybody. It's, it's like you would, if you were someone who, if you were a bully in the army, you would hardly pick on somebody while the general's walking down inspecting rank and file, would you? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do it in broad daylight with people watching on. You'd be more likely to do it in the barracks where nobody can see you at night. You know, you go up to somebody and treat them however you want just because you can. That's what a bully does. In this case, I find it interesting that people referred to him as a psychopath, a madhead, and completely unhinged 
strange and that he stated that he was normally quite venomous. Now that to me would just spell doom and gloom for everybody that had to come in contact with him. There are some people that have this aura around them that you don't want to be anywhere near them just because they have such a venomous, toxic personality. Narcissistic people are very much like that. You know, they'll command respect and want to be in charge of everything and everything's about me, 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 me and they think that their, their shit don't stink but at the end of the day, they're really not that well liked. And I mean, if you're going around stating that you're normally quite venomous, it's not exactly something I would be gloating about. This guy, Gavin Ham, sounds like an absolute piece of work. And the fact that this lady's defending him by saying, oh, well, I never saw it. Well, just because you never saw it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It also doesn't mean that you saw it and reported it. It could very well mean that you saw it and turned a blind eye to it. I mean, how are we to know that you didn't witness him doing something and you just turned a blind eye because, oh, I don't want to be involved in that? Which very much in bullying cases is the way it goes. People watch on and see someone be bullied and don't do a freaking thing about it. Then when something happens to the person, oh, I didn't see anything. Oh, I never saw anything. I mean, that's what happened with me. I got bullied quite severely at times, not going to go into detail. And people who were there that witnessed it all turned a blind eye. Teachers went up to him and said, hey, what happened? And they're like, oh, well, we didn't see anything. We don't know what happened. You were right there. How do you not know what happened? And to me, this guy Gavinham seems to have been a right bully. He sounds like a dreadful person to be around. I wouldn't want to be around him. Especially if you go around quoting yourself as being quite venomous. I mean, you don't get a nickname like Mad Head and called completely unhinged. You don't get a nickname like that or nicknames like that for no reason. You normally get called something like that for a reason. Another former trainee described sharing a room with Sean Benton and said he was once attacked by other trainees, one in a Halloween mask, before he heard one say, and I quote, We've got the wrong bloody bastard. Where is he? End quote. And on one occasion, a hot iron was put under his duvet, but he did not report it in case he was targeted too. The former soldier said he came forward during the inquest, having been ignored by Surrey police when he contacted the force three times in 2002. Private Benton's family accepted the suicide verdict, but criticised Surrey Police and the Army, rightfully so. The family asked Surrey Police to open a criminal investigation because of multiple examples of testimony given during the inquest that described bullying and violence at the Deep Cup facility. Surrey Police opened a criminal investigation into the circumstances which led to the death of Sheen Benton, who was allegedly kicked and punched by an instructor days before his suicide. This investigation is currently in progress as of 2020. Following the end of his inquest in July of 2018, Sean Benton's sister Tracy Lewis stated to the press outside Woking Coroner's Court that Sheen was a victim in a nasty game. End quote. Following the coroner's verdict, Brigadier Christopher Coles, head of Army Personnel Services, apologised to the Benton family and accepted that there had been a failure to give Private Benton welfare support during his time in the barracks. Then we come to the inquest of Jeff Gray. In March of 2015, the family of Private Jeff Gray demanded a fresh inquest after receiving 16,000 pages of new evidence from Surrey Police. At the original inquest, which lasted four hours, only 20 pages of evidence had been presented. Gray's father told the Daily Mirror, quote, I can't go into what I've seen in the new pages, but it is all stuff that was not seen by the coroner at the original inquest into Jeff's death. We were very, very naive. We should have had representation. It is pretty definite 
that we'll be making an application to have a new inquest. End quote. The additional material was released following a legal request from counsel representing his family. The force said that it had agreed to this request on a voluntary basis, adding that Surrey Police is not reinvestigating the deaths, but is committed to providing disclosure to the families through their legal teams and will provide the appropriate support for any potential inquests in the future. End quote. That sounds like buck passing to me. I mean, honestly, you've got all this evidence that all this stuff happened and you want to bury it as if it didn't happen. Like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's loose now. You can't get it back in. There's no way that you can fix it now. The best thing to do is to launch a new inquest and find out what's happened. But my question is... Why are they so determined that they don't want any future inquests? Why do they not want to reinvestigate the deaths? I think it's because it would create a scandal within the British Army, or would have created a scandal in the British Army, to realise that there was malpractice, there was sexual abuse, there was all sorts of things going on, and they had no idea about it. Either that, or they turned a blind eye to it, and knew that it was going on, but did nothing about it. And now that it's resulted in five very, very mysterious deaths, now they've got to sit up and do something about it. Which is always what happens. Somebody will get bullied, nobody will do anything about it. Then when that person either kills themselves or hurts other people and goes on a rampage, then people suddenly want to go, oh, we didn't know about this, oh, and then they start trying to cover up every time that that person reported being bullied. Every time that they should have done something, people that are in charge, they suddenly do the old cover-up game and say, oh, we didn't know anything about it he never reported it and then bury any evidence to the contrary trust me i've had it done to me so i know exactly how they'd operate i know exactly what they do you complain complain and complain and nothing gets done then when something big happens cover up mode straight away or we did you never said anything to us there's no evidence to the contrary all of a sudden all of these reports that were made suddenly mysteriously end up missing and they end up being destroyed or, or they end up disappearing into a deep dark filing cabinet. I'm not surprised. With the allegations that have come out about the deaths at Deep Cut Army Barracks, I am no way surprised that this is what happened. I am in no way surprised. On the 28th of November 2017, Lord Justice Bean and two other judges sitting at the High Court of Justice ruled that it was necessary or desirable in the interests of justice for a fresh inquest to be held into the death of Private Jeff Gray. They ordered the inquest in 2002 should be quashed with its verdict and findings. Justice Bean said the scope of the new inquest and the issue of whether the coroner should or should not sit with a jury should be a matter for the coroner. On the 20th of July 2018, at a pre-inquest hearing at the Old Bailey, it was reported that Private Gray could have been shot by another trainee at the barracks. John Cooper QC, representing Jeff Gray's family, told the hearing the main issue was simply, who pulled the trigger? Mr. Cooper also added that there was evidence of systemic failings at Deep Cut and allegations of a lack of procedure and lack of protection for these young recruits. Where have we heard that before? The second inquest into the circumstances of the death of Private Gray began on the 26th of February 2019 at Woking Coroner's Court. Mr. Peter Rook QC was appointed as the officating coroner, the same judge who presided over Private Benton, Benton's second inquest 12 months earlier. Again, there was to be no jury. At the start of the second inquest, the Ministry of Defence denied claims that key internal reports cataloguing life at Deep Cut Barracks would not be submitted as evidence. An anonymous letter sent to D- Mr. John Cooper QC, the Gray family's barrister, made a series of claims about how the inquest would operate. The letter, which was apparently written by someone with detailed knowledge of previous inquests into the deaths of the recruits at Deep Cut, stated, and I quote, It has been made clear that other source documents detailing the situation in 2001 to 2003 are not to be part of the new evidence regarding the Gray statement for the upcoming inquest, and that the statement structure as set out for Benton is to be maintained. 
end quote. The letter further stated that the British Army intended to withhold from the new inquest material in its possession contemporaneous with Gray's death that showed that its senior command echelon responsible for the external supervision of the Prince's Royal Barracks deep cut had been repeatedly notified that it was in a state of dis disciplinary disorder but had failed to correct the situation. The Ministry of Defence's legal representatives issued a statement that there was no truth in the anonymous letter's allegations, which of course they would deny that. On the 20th of June 2019, Coroner Peter Rook QC at Woking Coroner's Court ruled that the original investigation into the circumstances of Peter Gray's death had been cursory and carried out with a closed mind by the authorities responsible and that Private Gray's parents were right to have sought a second inquest and should not have been placed in the situation of being required to seek it through the original inquest's inadequacies. He went on to rule that according to the evidence he had examined, Private Gray had committed suicide, stating that he had created an opportunity for himself to be alone with a rifle and that I'm sure he administered the shots himself and intended to end his life, end quote. The court had not inquired as to Private Gray's motivation for the act beyond establishing that he appeared content with life in the army and there was no evidence of mistreatment towards him within it. The judge also accepted expert evidence that suicides can take place out of the blue for no apparent logical reason. Private Gray's family afterwards stated to the press that they were dissatisfied with the verdict which they found illogical, that they had been denied recourse to a jury hearing and that the court's conclusion had been partly arrived at using unsupported assumptions and that there were thousands of pages of evidential material on the case created by Surrey Police's investigations that had been unexamined by the second inquest and not made public because of, le of legal constraints. Private Gray's mother stated that she wanted a full public inquiry into the circumstances of the serial recruit deaths at Deep Cut Barracks between 1995 and 2002. On the announcement of the verdicts, Brigadier Coles, head of the British Army's personnel services, stated that the Army deeply regrets Private Gray's death and that reforms to procedures relating to investigations of such events and supervision of recruit soldiers in relation to firearms had been made in consequence. He also stated that, that the verdict laid to rest rumours about third-party involvement in the death and that the judgment had established that such speculation was groundless, end quote, which I don't believe at all. Then we come to the inquest of James Collinson. So, the mother of Private James Collinson, as of 2018, was reported as seeking a new inquest into the circumstances of his death at Deep Cup Barracks. In July 2019, it was reported that the parents of Private Collinson had abandoned their campaign for a new inquest into the circumstances of his death, stating that having observed what the other families had been through in the second inquests, they didn't have the emotional or physical strength to submit themselves to the same process. They further stated that they supported calls from other families for a public inquiry into the condition of deep cut barracks in the 1995-2002 period, requesting that it should examine why it took the serial violent deaths of four recruits before the authorities admitted that there was something seriously wrong at the facility. Then we come to Anthony Bartlett. In June 2021, it was revealed that a fifth recruit, Private Anton Anthony Bartlett, had died at the barracks in July of 2001 from an overdose of prescription painkillers. The BB... 19 years ago this month, the families of four trainees found dead at Deep Cut Army Barracks came together for the very first time. Sean Benton, he was found shot with five bullets to the chest. My son was found shot dead on September the 17th of last year. This was the moment when private grief became headline news. This is our son James, who was found shot dead on the 23rd of March this year with a single bullet went to his head. My wife and I spent the best part of two years trying to get some very basic answers, and eventually, I'm somewhat ashamed to admit now, uh, we gave up on it. 
because quite frankly, uh, it wasn't possible to, to get the answers to the questions that you needed. Do you think really you're going to get the MOD to cough up the truth on this? The questions surrounding those young deaths and the twists and turns in the story for nearly two decades since have shone a spotlight on a barracks where bullying, sexual abuse and discrimination were apparently rife. Despite the mystery surrounding the deaths, there was one constant, that four recruits had died at the camp between 1995 and 2002, in circumstances some believed suspicious. Tonight, we can reveal there was a fifth death. It took place within the same time frame as the four well-documented deaths. 26-year-old Private Anthony Bartlett from Dumfriesshire was found dead in his room in July 2001. The cause of death was acute poisoning by coproximal, a strong painkiller which is no longer licensed for use. Forensic pathologist Professor Jack Crane was an expert witness on two of the gunshot deaths. Private Bartlett died in very different circumstances. We asked Professor Crane to take a look at the photos from the scene which he obtained from Surrey Police. He wasn't allowed to show them to us. The photographs show uh, Private Bartlett. Uh, he's lying uh, on his back on top of his bed. Um, there, do, there does not appear to be any injuries uh, to his face, but um, there is quite a lot of blood-stained, frothy fluid which has come out of his mouth, and sometimes that fluid is associated where um, a drug overdose has, has been taken. The only other thing which was of note was the fact that on the floor there was a single uh, oval tablet. If you have a sudden unexplained death of a young person, it must raise some suspicion. So I think it's right and proper that the death should be treated with a degree of caution. The Ministry of Defence told Newsnight the police led the investigation into the death. We've seen the Army's own board of inquiry. It says Private Bartlett, who'd been at Deep Cut for five months, had been diagnosed with tendonitis during training and was due to be medically discharged. The camp doctor had prescribed him coproximal and diclofenac for pain relief. At the inquest in 2001, the Surrey coroner concluded the death was an accident and the Ministry of Defence told Newsnight its thoughts remain with Private Bartlett's family. Do you find anything about the scene suspicious? Uh, I find that quite unusual that there wasn't evidence of the tablet container if it's assumed, for example, that he, he took all the tablets apart from the one that was found on the floor. And, of course, it also raises the possibility, could someone have, if you like, um, done something with them, removed them from the scene? Um, and, and that's always something that has to, be, has to be borne in mind. It just seems unusual to me that we don't have any trace at all of either the tablets... Uh, or the tablet container. Uh, and I think that question is one that has not been satisfactorily answered. We've seen two army documents that record the facts of Private Bartlett's death. The Board of Inquiry says his lifeless body was found at approximately quarter past midnight. The daily activity log says soldier not found breathing slash no pulse more than three hours later at 03.40 a.m. What we know for certain is that Anthony Bartlett was found dead at Deep Cut just two months before Private Jeff Gray, one of the recruits whose deaths did make the news. There may be nothing suspicious about Private Bartlett's death, but the fact it happened was not disclosed to the senior police officer looking into two of the Deep Cut deaths, even though Surrey Police had investigated it at the time. 
Retired Detective Chief Inspector Colin Sutton was the senior investigating officer tasked by Surrey Police in 2002 with the cases of Jeff Gray and another dead private, James Collinson. He only heard of Anthony Bartlett's death a few months ago. I was completely amazed and taken aback when we found out about um, Anthony Bartlett's death. I mean, it was kept hidden from me, effectively. Nobody told me about it. If you're the senior investigating officer looking at the deaths of two soldiers at Deep Cup, and there's another death of a soldier that you're not told about, you know, you, it's just staggering to me. I just don't understand how that information can be kept from an investigation team that's looking at deaths at that barracks. We asked Surrey Police to comment on why DCI Sutton wasn't told about the death. They didn't choose to do so. Newsnight's also been in touch with the family of Private Bartlett. They didn't want to take part in this report, but they told us even though he died in very different circumstances to the other recruits, they believe his death should have been considered with the other four deep-cut deaths. 17-year-old Private James Collinson was the last recruit to die at the barracks in March 2002. Until now, his mother, Yvonne, had never known that eight months before her son died, there was another death at Deep Cut. I can't believe that after all these years of battling and publicity and the police involvement and the army involvement that nobody has bothered to let us know about this and it makes me wonder why. And why do you think it's only coming out now? Well, the, the, the mere fact that they haven't told us makes me think that they were hiding something, you know, they wanted to cover something up. Uh, all, this, all these years of experience with the army, um, they don't offer any truths and, in fact, um, try and hide things from you that they, they think might cause them a bit of trouble. The Ministry of Defence says it strongly rejects any suggestion it sought to hide the death of Private Bartlett. Does that bring it all back up again? When you find out that there was another death that you didn't know about? It does, yeah, and I, and I also feel for the, the, the family of um, this young man because I suspect he didn't get very much support from the army because I know we certainly didn't, because only we understand how it feels, you know. It's um, my condolences to them. Yvonne's son, James, had only been at Deep Cup for six weeks. On the night he died, he was on guard duty with two other recruits. Minutes after leaving them to do a roaming patrol, a shot rang out. He was found with a gunshot wound to his head. The inquest into his death recorded an open verdict. His mum continues to be haunted by a conversation she had with James just a few days before he died. He'd called me in the middle of the week and he said that the army had arranged a trip to Spain and could he borrow some money? He wanted to borrow £100. So um, I said to him, well, surely the army would be paying for this trip. He said, oh, yes, they are, Mum. He said, but I, I want 100 quid for spends. And I said, well, I don't think you need that. I said, you know, I think you need to learn to manage your money better. But he seemed really desperate for it. And it was like, oh, please, Mum, please, Mum. And it was like he was almost begging for this money. And I did think that was really odd. Of course, we don't know why James wanted that money so badly, but his mother did relay the conversation to senior investigating officer Colin Sutton in his last few days on the case. He was leaving to take up a job at the Met Police, but he says he felt it was a significant line of inquiry and he expected Surrey Police to follow up thoroughly. The Audible podcast now makes new allegations about a culture of money lending at the camp between instructors and recruits.
it could have been crucial because it was a it was a reason it was a motivation the ramifications of being late on your payments or owing those NCOs were huge because you had men there who were able to inflict pain on the recruits and I think you start then possibly to see how a happy enthusiastic bright soldier might be tempted to take his or her own life because they just simply couldn't face up to what was they were going to be subjected to and I don't want to think that it was a conspiracy but if it was a cock-up then you know I, I just don't understand how a trained and experienced group of investigators can just miss the point of a line of inquiry so spectacularly. Surrey Police recently told Yvonne it did investigate after Colin Sutton left the team. It says the Army and some of James's friends told them they weren't aware of any financial concerns. I absolutely detest the name Deep Cut. I think the term Deep Cut is it, it's just it's so appropriately named because it cuts into me very, very deeply, that name. Um, and I, I wish I'd never heard of the place. Absolutely not. It's just a vile, vile place. And to think I sent my son there is, it just tears me apart. That report by Katie Razzle. Both the Ministry of Defence and Surrey Police told Newsnight the four deaths at Deep Cut were a tragedy. The MOD added the armed forces take responsibility for the welfare of service personnel very seriously and that it accepted the majority of the recommendations made in the independent review into Deep Cut. Surrey Police didn't comment on Private Bartlett's death. It said it has accepted and apologised again the mistakes were made during the initial stages of the investigations into the other four deaths but said thorough investigations were carried out into all four deaths. It says it was a matter of deep regret that these errors added to the suffering of the families. The force added the investigation into the four deaths remained closed, but said any new information in future would be examined. BBC reported that a former detective who investigated the later deaths at Deep Cut, retired detective CH Inspector Colin Sutton, said it was staggering he was not told about it. End quote. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time. Next on Unanswered Questions. 39-year-old Chuck Morgan was a successful businessman who was the president of his own escrow agency. He was also a potential witness in a state land fraud case involving a known crime boss. 